12. Hopefully you grab one of the outlines on the way in. Anybody got in here did not grab one? Raise your hand. Anybody at all? Brother Roman, you want to grab some of those or somebody back there? And uh, keep your hand up. And uh, I love that song. The old account was settled long ago. How long ago? For me, 35 years. How about you? Say say a year. 28. 48. 48. How long? 56. Praise the Lord. What's that? 81 years ago you were saved? How's that possible? You're only 62. Your birthday, but you're 62 and you've been saved 81 years. How's that? <laughs> Anybody else? How many years? Mickey? 26. 34. Carol? 57. 52. <laughs> you're in church, Brother John. <laughs> Anybody else? 12. 12, amen. Anybody else? Brother Carl? 70? 70 years. Wow. What a blessing. What a blessing. Aren't you, how many of you are, what? Where? Shannon? Seven days? Seven days. Amen. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. So what a joy it is to be a Christian, huh? And I, I was talking to that couple today, and, and uh, you pray for them, Eric and Mandy, and a sweet couple. And uh, we shared a lot of things, and part of what we're going to look at tonight, uh, we went through, we, we began going through the book of Romans uh, some time ago, and uh, the Lord kind of led me a, away from it as we were finishing the year. And uh, the first eight chapters, if you remember, are actually the doctrinal parts of the book of Romans. And then there's a section in the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11, that actually deal with the nation of Israel. And it's uh, very three very important chapters, chapter 9, 10, and 11. And uh, if God would bring me back around, I'd like to teach on that again someday or teach on it here for the first time. But I, I, I love those portions. A lot of people don't understand Romans 9, 10, and 11. And, uh, and then God brought me back to this thought as we're thinking about our 70th year, and it is well... Uh, many of us, a lot of years, many of us have been saved. And, you know, when we get saved, there's a Bible word, and it's called justification. And we, we, we are justified by God. Salvation, conversion, there's many great words there that we use. But once we're saved, then God begins this process known as sanctification. And sanctification is that, that we, are, we are saved and that God is working in our lives and that we need, to, we need to be growing as Christians because one day we'll go from justification to sanctification to glorification. And that's when we're going to meet the Lord someday. How many of you are looking forward to that? And it's, it, look, it could be today, right? Let's pray it's before this next presidential election. That'd be a wonderful thing. That'd be a wonderful thing. But nonetheless, I, I, God brought me to this thought to teach these, these chapters from 12 to, to 16 and I've, I've been calling this practical Christianity. Um, I, I think it's important that we not only know our Bible doctrine, but we know how to live it out, right? And the world needs to see what a Christian is, uh, the way a Christian acts. The Bible tells us that we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the church of the living God. And so if you notice there in the word practical is those three letters, act. You know, we need to act like Christians, because we are a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we get to the portion that we're looking at tonight, Romans chapter number 12, and we looked at verse 1 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what we need to be doing. But when we come to verse 3, the Bible says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having 
then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, can I just say to you, that's a mouthful. And we're about to uh, uncover all that's in that mouthful tonight because I've entitled tonight's lesson, Thinking About the Body. Thinking About the Body. Now, Paul, as he got into Romans chapter number 12, this section of the Bible, Paul began dealing with the individual. As he was dealing with the individual, he started out by thinking about the believer. And that's what we saw in verses 1 and 2. As believers in Christ, we need to understand something, and that is that we have an obligation to the Lord to give God our best. Can I get an amen for that? God deserves our best, our best service, our best sacrifice. Now, when you come to the rest of chapter 12, what we find in this chapter is, is that uh, this chapter is given over to the individual believer's duty, that each one of us have a duty to and a place in the body of Christ. And in this portion tonight, we're going to look at three observations that as believers, that we need to consider and be concerned about how that you and I, and I hope you'll see this tonight, how you fit into this body how you are an integral part of God's plan for the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that God is the one that is tempering the body. A long time ago, I remember I was in church and there were some people that were there, and I remember thinking, man, how did he get in this church? You know, I mean, you know, it's just person doesn't really seem like they belong here. You know, the truth was I was looking down my nose. I thought I was better than somebody else. And, and I've come to realize that as I become a part now of the body of believers known as Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines, Florida, that God has brought every one of us here. God's the one that's brought us together. And, and look, understand that we ought not to look at one another in a, a different way than God would look at them. And so we need to see how we fit into God's plan for the body of Christ. So tonight, we're going to move from what Paul began in Romans chapter number 12. Paul was talking about this matter of how he was thinking about the believer. Okay, now watch. Here's the change. When we get to verse 3, he moves from thinking about the believer to thinking about the body. Okay, there's a little bit of a difference here. And it begins in verse number 3. Look at the verse again. The Bible says in verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. When I read that verse, I had this thought that myself and all of us as believers, when it comes to the body, we need to first of all watch our pride in the body, our pride. Now, when you look at this verse, verse number three, what's the first word? Verse number three, what's the first word? Four, all right? Now, when you look at that word there, it refers back to verses one and two. This, there's a real danger that Paul's talking about here. And listen to this, the danger is, is that as we grow, some mention 70 years and 50-some years and 35 years and seven days. As we grow in the Lord, there's a real danger that, that you and I, as Christians, that we will become more and more separated, yes, in our walk, but as we grow, that we will, we will somewhere along the way develop some pretty bad habits. I'm not going to ask you to maybe name a bad habit that you might have. But even as Christians, you know, we're, we're saved for any length of time. My wife has to constantly, like for instance, sometimes when I go out and I'm trying to witness to somebody, 
Sometimes I, my wife, she said, you taught in a, in a Bible college for 12 years and you know a lot of these terms and a lot of theological things. And she said, you're out there talking to people that don't even know who Jesus is. And I kind of settled into a, a bad habit where I just thought everybody knew what I knew. Do you know there are some people out in this world that don't even really know what the word saved means? Seriously. There are people that don't understand what the word sin is. I, I was out at the college. I was sitting in one of the classes, and, uh, and, and there was, he was, the, the instructor was talking to them about this matter of biblical separation, and I don't know how much you know about that, but he was sharing some things, and he shared a Bible verse with the class, and all these college students, probably mostly uh, sophomore, junior, seniors, and he mentioned this verse, how the Bible says that we ought not to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh. You ever read that verse? See, we have liberty in Christ. And he says, don't, don't use your Christian liberty to think that you can just do what you want. Uh, for instance, there are Christians today that they know they're saved, they've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they know that the Bible says once you're saved, you have eternal life, and that means no matter what happens, no matter what you do, you're going to go to heaven someday. Is that true? And so they think to themselves, well, what does it hurt if I drink alcohol? Because the Bible says I'm going to heaven. Well, they're forgetting about the judgment seat of Christ. They're forgetting about how they're going to stand before the Lord one day, the one who allowed himself to be voluntarily, he laid his life down and was crucified for their sins so that they could have a home in heaven someday. And there are people that abuse and so one of the college students raised his hand and he says, can you define, watch it, here it is, the buzzword, can you define liberty? You know why? Because some people, they think liberty's up here, other people, liberty's down here. And so we have to look at the Bible at face value. It's not what we think, it's what God says. So as we look at the Word of God tonight, God says there's a real danger that pride could come into our lives and as we face this, the sin of pride, pride is at the very root of all sin. You know why? Because pride puts I first. It's all about me. You know, I was telling somebody today, I said, look, I learned a long time ago that everything that I do, watch this, I hope you learn this, everything that we do as Christians do all to the glory of God. You know what? You're never going to be disappointed when somebody turns their back on you, when somebody walks away from you, when somebody hurts you. Can I just say it this way? Watch. You can't hurt a dead man. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. We're alive unto Christ. A lot of times we, we have such thin skin. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That's the Bible, in case you didn't know. Now, when you think about this, it's important for us to see because as Paul is writing here, get this now, Paul, these remarks he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul is writing to all believers, not just a few isolated Christians. He's writing to all believers these words that he writes in verse number three, he says, through the grace that's given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul says, don't let pride in your life. God says, look, it's, it's a real problem. Pride is a sin that we all deal with from time to time. So notice letter A, the danger that we are to avoid is to not think more highly of ourselves. The danger of pride is that it's twofold. And I think I gave you this, or maybe you could fill it in. The first part of pride is, is this matter of self-deception. Self-deception. We deceive ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You know what we are? We're dirt. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. Where would we be without the Lord? But oftentimes, oh, I've been saved now for 35 years. I've learned so much Bible. I just am a walking Bible. And we get to the place where we think 
We are better than somebody else. You know what that is? That's pride. And God points it out here as Paul pens these words. People who tend to look down on other believers, they feel like, as we think about the body, they feel like the gifts that God has given to them, that their gifts are more superior to those of others. Look, I'm only standing here tonight because God put me here. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather be out there. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people that have pulpits nowadays that have glass fronts on them. I can't do that because then you'd see my knees knocking. I don't think I've ever gotten the pulpit and not been nervous. Say, Pastor, you, you never look nervous. Well, you, you don't see me shaking. I hide it well. And, and when I look at these verses here, how oftentimes a person that is walking in pride, you know what? You get around them, it doesn't take you long before you realize that they think that they are the stuff. You know, like, like they're God's gift to the ministry. Like how in the world did the ministry ever behave or ever get along before them? It reminds me of 3 John, verse 9. Look at this. I write unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. There's a lot of people out there like Diotrephes who have forgotten that the church existed long before they got saved and the church is going to be around a long time after they're off the scene. See, none of us, had it not been for God, God's working in our lives, there's a place, listen, in the body for all of us, for all the redeemed, but the whole work of God rests on the shoulders of no one. It's all God's work. And so we see the danger of pride. We are to avoid this matter of self-deception. But notice, secondly, self-depreciation. And notice as we think about this, self-deprecation is those who display a false humility. You know, I, I love it whenever, you know, I, I look at, at, at men that serve here at our church. Because these aren't men that have said, hey, pastor, look at me. Look what I can do. No, they're men that have humility. God says this matter of self-deprecation or people that, that have a false humility. They act a certain way. They are the people that when they're asked to do something in the church, they might say something like this, well, I can't do that. I can't do anything. Can I tell you tonight that if you're saved, if you're saved, there is something for you to do in this church. You're about to see that in just a moment. See, when God saved you, watch this, when God saved you, according to the word of God, God gifted you. The trouble is some of you don't even realize where or how God has gifted you, but one of the things that hopefully God will accomplish in our lives tonight is, is that you would desire to know what the gift that God has given to you, and then once you know or identify what that gift is, that you use that gift the way God has intended it to be for his honor and for his glory, to help the body of Christ, the church. See, when we do less than what God has saved us and gifted us for, you know what it is? It's a slap in the face of God who saved us by his grace. God says, I didn't, watch this, I didn't save you to sit sour and soak. I saved you to serve me. I saved you uh, so that you could serve others. How many of you think Jesus just sat around and did nothing? Jesus ministered. He came not to be ministered to. Certainly, he deserved to be ministered to. Jesus was the one who girded himself with a towel and took a basin of water and pushed away from the table and began to wash his disciples' feet, serving others. So look, we have to watch this matter in the body, the pride that could creep into our lives, and there's a danger that we must avoid. But notice the decision that we are to accept because Paul calls on us in verse number three. Look at it again in the end of the verse. He says that we are to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now that word sober, soberly there, it means sanely, intelligently, you know, look at this word, and, 
it, it helps us understand that, that what we need to do is make an honest assessment of what God has done in our lives. I love it. Like today at lunch, we, we spent time with that young couple, and, and I began to tell them, and my wife always points out that I sat in a church like this for three years, and I didn't get it, that I had a thick head. And she always really infatuately says it, it took him three years to get it. But the truth is, she's right. I sat in a church like this. I heard message after message. I heard the gospel many, many times. But listen, once I got saved, I look back over my life, and that's part of what I did today, was just I just made an honest assessment of what God has done in my life. And the only thing I can say is, it is none of me, and it is all of him. To God be the glory. You know, my, my family, they were so skeptical. My dad, before, before God even called me to preach, my dad was calling me preacher boy. I wasn't even preaching at the time. And, and I remember thinking over the years how my family, although how skeptical and how sometimes would make fun, that they began to see a consistency there. And again, it, it was all God working my life. But I love the fact that God got the glory because you know why? They remember the old Dane Keeley. People always remember our past. If you went back to your home area today, they'd see you coming and they'd go, oh, there's Linda. And boy, you remember what Linda did? She opened up the gate and all the horses got out. You know, they started throwing up all this stuff that we did. You know, they, 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 they want to bring it all up. Hey, listen, if you're saved tonight by the grace of God, then understand that, that look, you ought to be able to take an honest assessment soberly of what God has been doing in your life. And if God has gifted you, and he has, if God has gifted you in an area, then don't be puffed up with that gift. But instead, what you need to say is, God, you've given me something precious, a spiritual gift, and I want to use it for you. I hope that's your spirit and attitude tonight is to allow God to use that gift for his glory. Well, how do we do that? Just accept God's will for your life. God will reveal it. So a lot of times people say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. That's why we're looking at this portion tonight. We're just going through Romans chapter number 12. But I'm going to tell you something. As you understand the gift that God has given to you and you begin to use it, you're going to give God the glory for it and you're going to yield yourself completely to his will. Because if you look at this, look at verse number three. The Bible says, I say then, look at this, through the grace that is given unto me. Look at verse number six. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto me. Twice there he mentions this matter of grace. And when I see that matter of the grace that is given unto us, aren't you glad for the grace of God? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, when I think about the grace of God, two words remind me of this, this truth. Look at this, we're all saved by grace. doesn't matter what your background is, we're all sinners, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The ground's level at the cross. And when I think about this, it's, it's God saving us by his marvelous grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, we're all saved by grace, but watch this. Once you're saved, look at, look at there, we are all serving by grace. We are to serve by the grace of God. And this is where the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given to us, how do we get those? By His grace and we are to use those gifts for his glory. We're not given those gifts by God so that we can exalt ourselves, so that we can look good to other people and, and be proud about, about what we have in our lives. We are given those so that we might live for God. We're given those so that we, we might honor God. We are given those so that we might glorify our Father, which is in heaven, and we do all that while we're in this world. You see, the world needs to see Christians who have experienced God's grace. It's God's grace, as somebody said, that decides what we do and to what extent we do it. I think about the grace of God, how God's brought me from where I was to where I am today. It's all been God's doing to the extent of it. 
God leaves no room in our lives for foolish pride in our walk with him. And that's, that's how he starts this tonight in verse number three. Look at it again. He says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Do a, a, an assessment according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so we see that we need to watch the pride in the body. But notice, secondly, we need to watch our place in the body. Let's move on in our text tonight. Look at verse 4. The Bible says here, For as we have many members in one body. How many members? And how many bodies? One. Many members, one body. Think about, look at, look at, think about your body. If I look at you, I see one body, right? How many arms? How many toes? Some of you had to think. <laughs> How many eyes? How many mouths? How many ears? Those are all members. That's all a part of your body, right? Some of you are like, Pastor, I have 11 toes. Don't tell me that, all right? Do you get it? Many members, one body. So when we think about this, he says here in verse number four, there are many members in one body. Now watch this. And all members have not the same office. Watch this. Does the thumb do the same thing the big toe does? Do the eyes do the same thing the mouth does? Do you get it? Okay, look at verse five. So having said that, being many are one body in, what's the word? And every one members one of another. Interesting. He's talking about the body. But you notice he mentioned Christ. So as we look at this, we've got to see as Christians our place in the body. Christians should use their gifts for the body of Christ. Here's, here's an illustration. I don't know if it's the best one. How many times have you heard somebody sing? I mean sing. Kind of like my daughter this morning. Sing or sang. But they're singing worldly songs. And then somebody interviews them and they say, where did you start singing? Where do they say? You've heard it. In other words, I started singing for the Lord, but now I'm singing for me. I'm singing for the world. Isn't that sad? You know where they got that gift from? God. Are they using it for God? No. Do you know there's a lot of Christians today that when they got saved, God gifted them? And they're not using their gift for God. It's sad. Notice that if we're going to understand our place in the body, in verse number four, he tries to help us understand the image that he's given here. Paul draws attention to the human body to illustrate what he's about to teach. And he reminds us, have you figured out how complex the body is? Isn't the body an amazing thing? I mean, honestly, just how we breathe. You cut yourself and how the blood begins to coagulate. You know, our eyesight, the way it works. You know, you don't miss something until you don't have it, right? Anybody else's eyes getting dim like mine? You know, the, 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 the typing in my Bible used to be a lot darker. The same Bible. Things change over time. And Paul's talking about the body. Think about this. Our bodies, according to science, are made up of 7.5 trillion cells. Over 200 bones, over 600 muscles and specialized systems that cause us to be able to live and function day by day. The body is very diverse. It is a perfect picture of unity. I mean, we stop and think about it. How the body works together. Like I'm waving my hands, I'm not even thinking about it. You know, you blink your eyes, you don't even think about it. You open your mouth and your vocal cords are working to project volume out of your, your throat, out of your mouth. It's just amazing. 
this complexity of the body. You see, when you look at the perfect harmony and the unity of the body, no part in the body ought to try to take the place of another part in the body. How ridiculous that my right hand wants to take the place of my right foot. You know, it's just not going to work. And yet this happens many times. Every part simply should do its intended duty. And when every part of the body does what God has intended for it to do, the result is that the entire body is able to live, it's able to function, and watch this, it's able to enjoy life. So Paul says, look, you've got to understand the image of the body. But look, he moves on in verse number 5, and he wants us to understand the individuality, not just the image that he's giving here of the body, but in verse number 5, in the beginning of it, he says, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. So he begins here in this verse by reminding us that we have been, watch this, saved individually. Did you get saved because your granddaddy was saved? Did you get saved because your spouse was saved? No. Did you get saved because you're in a Baptist church? No. God saved you individually. Aren't you glad we have a personal God? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. So when I look at this, we are saved individually, but watch this. After we are saved individually, we are gifted individually. My wife has different gifts than I do. Because I'm the head of the home. You know, a lot of times you think about it, and we're going to see in just a minute. I'm glad that my wife is not the same. Because I have a daughter that is the female version of me. And you know what we do? All the time. My wife and I don't. Well, occasionally. Keeps things fun. But the reality is, is she's gifted in areas that I'm not, and I'm gifted in areas where she's not. But we all understand that those gifts are not something that we desired, something we went after. It's something that God gave to us. And we have to understand that we are special to God as individual persons. How many people, even Christians, are not happy with who they are? Think about it. God's the one that's in charge of your life. So you know what that's saying? That's saying you're not happy with God. Because God, we are special to him. We ought never to be ashamed of who we are as an individual uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it right here that we are many members, but one body in Christ. See, when I think about this, you and I, we need to understand that he loves us, that he died for us, that, that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins, and that he has a special place in his body just for you. You see, we need to understand the individuality. But then notice we also need to understand the integration. The integration. Go back to verse 5. Look at it. We're just going verse by verse here. In verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ. Here it is. And every one members one of another. Do you see the integration there? You see how God says we're members one? See, while the body is made up of many components... Guess what happens? All the components are working together to do what they are supposed to do flawlessly. It's important that we see that, uh, like for instance, when my eyes see something that they want to investigate closer, guess what happens is my hands respond by reaching out and maybe grabbing a hold of it. When I think about how that when I want to move from one location to the other, that I, I, I understand I want to go from this location to that location. Well, how is that possible? Well, my feet begin to move towards that direction. They begin to move in that chosen direction that I want to go. It's a wonderful integration and cooperation that happens within the human body. Now, Paul's going somewhere with this. Because just as our human body is working flawlessly, that there's integration there, that there is the the moving of the parts, the cooperating. It is this kind of unified integration, and it is this kind of, listen now, cooperation that should exist within the body of Christ. You see, the devil loves to sow discord. But when we're all in one accord, 
Everybody's doing their part. I just had a great meeting with some of our folks that are going to help us as leaders. You say, well, I wasn't in that meeting. I'm sorry. But we're going to have some folks that are going to help us, and, and, and they're going to lead some teams for Community Sunday. And I put a quote up there on the screen back there that I, I shared with them, and here it is. Teamwork makes the dream work. I can't do it all. Brother Kenny can't do it all. The truth is we shouldn't have to. This is our church. It's not my church. It's the church of the living God. Every one of us ought to have a part. You know, and, and, and watch this. Although you may not be a leader on one of those teams, guess what? Every one of you have probably been assigned to a team. Wait a minute. What do you mean I'm on a team? You're a member of this body. That means you, you're a part of it. Every one of us need to understand the integration, members one of another. But it's sad many times that believers think that they can get along without other believers. That's sad when that happens. But see, the Bible mentions here our body is one whole body, but it's made up of individual parts. And each one of those individual parts, as I mentioned earlier, they do specialized tasks from which the whole body benefits from. You know, I, I love the fact, you know, a lot of times you look at somebody that doesn't have, like, like, for instance, Brother Peter. Brother Peter doesn't have his eyes. God's chosen to, to remove his eyesight. I'm going to tell you, as a blind man, he probably does more than most of us do with our eyes. Do you know he cooks at the house? Claudia doesn't cook. He cooks. I'm like, how is that possible? I'd burn the place down. That's right. And I can see. But here's the thing is that our bodies, when you think about your body, and of course we're talking about the body of Christ, our bodies are a marvel of individuality, but they're also a marvel of harmony. There's no part of our body that is unimportant. You say, well, you know, I don't, I don't think much of my pinky. Well, cut it off and see if you do. <laughs> Next time you try to pick something up, you're going to go, boy, I wish I had a pinky. There's no part of us. None should be left out. Well, when you think about the body of Christ, it's no different. Every part is important. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'm, I'm not the pastor. I, I don't usher. I don't do this. Every part of the body is important. Every last one of them. Every member has been gifted in some area of or, another, or another. And what we need to understand is that we need to do what God has gifted us to do. And we need to leave others to do what God has gifted them to do. Hey, listen, don't be jealous because so-and-so has been gifted in an area that you haven't been gifted in. Rejoice that they have that gift and be glad for the gift that God's given to you. See, a lot of times we're always looking. We, we always think the grass is greener on the other side. Boy, I wish I was just like so-and-so. No, you don't. You just need to be content with who you are, with who God has made you to be. God saved you individually. God's gifted you individually. And we've got to watch the pride in the body, and we've got to watch our place in the body. But look at this. As we understand, don't let pride in. Don't think more highly of ourselves. And then he says, look, you have to understand the body, the individuality there, that every member's important, and every member in the body of Christ is important. But watch, as we understand that, no pride, we have to understand the body, all the members of the body. Here's the third part is, we need to watch our performance in the body. And we're just moving right along in the text tonight, so look at it, and hopefully you'll see it from the Word of God. And if you have a problem with it, you'll have a problem with God instead of me, because I'm just going to read the Bible tonight. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, having then, what's that third word? Now watch this, having then gifts, what's the next word? So does that mean there's different gifts? Okay, now watch. It says, having then gifts differing according to the pastor of Bible Baptist Church. I'm going to decide what Lynn has, and I'm going to decide what Maria has, and I'm going to decide what, what Osvaldo has. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Look at it. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, 
He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, and he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, how many of you know, look at that, how many of you know that's a list, right? Uh, hopefully over time reading your Bible, when you read in the Word of God, there's many times God gives a list, and that's what he gives here. And as we find our place in the body, watch this, I, I, I'm trying to understand that I'm a part of the body, I'm a member of the body. As we find our place in the body, what are we to do? We're to carry out our duty to him in a correct fashion. See, there's a, a, a certain way. And I want you to see it all begins with our call to perform. See, look at verse 6 again. So he says here, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. See, at the moment, well, let me ask you this. When did you receive the Holy Spirit of God? When you got saved. I hope you're here tonight and realize that the Spirit of God lives in you, right? Jesus said before he went to heaven that the, the Spirit would dwell in you. We call that the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And your Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? Everybody on the same page? Amen. So you receive the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of, of your salvation. You can't get any more of the Holy Spirit of God. You got all of him. There, listen, I hate to pop someone's bubble. There is no such thing as a second blessing. Okay? So here's the thing is, you get all the Holy Spirit. The question is, by now in your life, did the Holy Spirit get all of you? Okay, so we understand that when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit of God. And watch this. Along with the Holy Spirit of God, guess what you also receive? You receive spiritual gifts. The Bible calls them pneumatikos, spiritual gifts. Listen, spiritual gifts, here it is, this is deep, are gifts from the Spirit. That's pretty deep, isn't it? Some of you are waiting for some big theological thing right there. Okay, so, so as we look at this, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit of God, we receive the gifts. Now, why do we receive those gifts? To use them in the body of Christ. Did God give Robert a gift so that he can hoard it? So that he can keep it to himself? So that he can do what he wants with it? No, that's not the use of the gifts. God's intended, see our call, the grace was extended unto us. God gave us those spiritual gifts, so as we look at this tonight, we receive those gifts to use in the body of Christ. And, and understand that when we receive the Holy Spirit of God, and we receive those gifts, there's no need to come to God, and as many people do, who want to come and pray for the Holy Spirit, and they want to pray for some gift from the Spirit, God has already given us the Spirit, and God has already given us those spiritual gifts. What we need to do is ask the Lord, and I hope maybe you've done this, is ask the Lord to show you, to identify in your life what those gifts are that He's given to you. And once you know what those gifts are, then Guess what? Then you know what gift you have so that you know how that you can use it, not for you, but for him, for his honor and for his glory. See, this is our call. And you know what will happen? They that seek him will find him. God will reveal it to you. Now, the truth is, and I'm, I, I don't mean this in a, uh, like a mystical way. But if you're like me and you've been saved for any length of time and you, you hang around somebody long enough, you can pretty much tell Brother Flynn what their spiritual gifts are. I, a lot of times I can tell what somebody's spiritual gift is just from spending time with them. You know, a lot of people understand that probably my weakest spiritual gift is the gift of mercy. I don't intend it to be that way. It's just that way. But God's been working on me in that area. But, but think about this, is as we understand God revealing these gifts. Now watch this, once you know what your spiritual gift is, God reveals it to you, then you know what you need to say is, God, give me some opportunities. And you know what he will do? He will give you opportunities. Brother Flynn, <clears throat> what do you do every Thursday with your wife? Yeah, and not many people go to the nursing home with you, do they? Have a few. Brother Carl, when you go to the nursing home with him, what do you do? Support the uh, care of the nursing home. And 
Mm -hmm. If you're hearing what I'm hearing, I'm hearing spiritual gifts. I'm hearing areas. See, now, now look, it's no slant on anybody else, but not everybody goes to the nursing home. Because God hasn't gifted everybody with Brother Flynn. He goes there and he teaches the Word of God. God's given him that, that gift. A lot of, lot of you uh, like, to, like to bounce things off, Brother Flynn. You like to sit and listen to him teach. Not everybody can teach. You know why? Because not everybody's been given that gift. See, and that's what's nice is the Bible says having gifts differing. See, it'd be boring if everybody had the same gift. But we, ha we all have different gifts. And here's the most important part. Think about this, talking about our call to perform is your duty, yours and mine, our duty is simply this, is to be what God has saved us to be. That's your duty. So he, he mentions here, as he's talking about the performance in the body, he mentions our call to perform. But notice he, he moves on in verse 6 with our condition to perform. Our condition. Paul mentions some of the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given to the church. And again, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love to think about these spiritual gifts. And I love to see how many of you, the gifts that God has given to you. And I love what Warren Wearsby said about spiritual gifts. He said, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight with. They're tools, God's tools, to build. The Bible uses this word, edify the body, to build it up. Look, we're not in the business, the church is not in the business of tearing things down. The church is in, build, in the business of building things up. What did Jesus say? I will destroy my church. He said, I will build my church. So as we think about these conditions that he gives us here, he mentions these spiritual gifts. Now I want you to see them because it's important that you look at them here in verse number 6 and 7 and 8. So let's begin here in verse number 6. We'll back up. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now here they are. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So he mentions seven gifts here. I don't think they're in your notes. I mean, they're right there in your Bible. If you want to highlight them or write them down in your notes, here they are. The first one he mentions is prophecy. Now listen to me carefully. There are no, no prophets alive today. I'm going to say that again. There are no prophets. You know why? Because we have God's word completed. You see, a prophet in the Bible would prophesy. They would tell forth something that was going to happen or foretell something that was going to happen. There are religions in the world today, false religions, that say they hear new things, new revelation from the prophet. That's out of the pits of hell. There's no new prophecy, no prophecy of private interpretation. The Bible says. So why would he include this here when he says prophecy? Because although the canon of scriptures has been completed, this gift of prophecy is a call of God. It's an equipping of God to preach or to proclaim his word. So think about it. Again, God doesn't call everyone to do that. The reality is, is that God still wants those who in the Old Testament would go up on the wall on their watch and they would sound forth like a trumpet the word of God. Hey, listen, when I think about it, I'm not an Old Testament, uh, I'm living in New Testament times, but I told somebody the other day that God has intended that this would be my leg of the race. You know who I received the baton that I'm holding in my hand from? Pastor Mark Brown. Do you know who I'm going to hand this baton off to? I don't have a clue. This is my leg of the race. 
God's given me, and it's important that I understand that God wants me, as I proclaim the Word of God, that I would stay true to the Word of God, that I would be able to unashamedly hand off that baton to those that come before me. So he has the gift of prophecy here. Not everybody has that gift of prophecy by the Holy Spirit of God. The second one he mentions is ministering or the gift of ministry there in verses uh, 6 and 7. What is the gift of ministry or ministering? It's a desire to serve and help people. Brother Carl just said it. He says, I I just go there, try to be a blessing to those folks at the home. I try to be a blessing to the friends. Miss Norris goes when she's able to go. That's the gift of ministering. Some have the gift of ministering. Notice the third gift he mentions here is the gift of teaching. The spiritual gift of teaching, the ability to teach God's truth, helping people to understand how God's word, listen, how, how good would the word of God be if we could understand it, but we didn't know how to apply it to our lives? There's, look, God's word says what it says and means what it means, but you know, it's interesting when I give an invitation or if I stand out there in the lobby and say, hey, what did you get out of the message tonight? I'm going to hear all different kinds of answers. You know why? Because everybody heard the same truth. Everybody heard the same message, but it applied to all our lives differently. I'm praying tonight that you don't, that the understanding doesn't come because I'm teaching this. I'm praying that the greatest teacher of all, the Holy Spirit of God, is taking his word and applying it to your life tonight. Some people have the gift of teaching. Look at number four. I love this one. The gift of exhortation. You know what that is? That's the ability and desire to encourage others in the Christian life. How many of you know an encourager? Not many hands up. Somebody want a name in the Bible who was a, an encourager in the Word of God? There you go. Who said it? What would you say? Barnabas, the son of consolation. Barnabas, when nobody else would reach out to Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, you know what Barnabas did? He put his arm around him. He said, hey, listen, he's with us. He's on our team now. He's on the right side. Remember how the the rest of the disciples were still skeptical? Well, listen, he's probably just trying to invade us so that he can figure out who we are, and then he can throw us in prison. Hey, we'd be the same way. Thank God for those that are modern-day Barnabases. Dr. Mark Rasmussen has been one of the greatest encouragements in my life always encouraging people. Some have that gift, the gift of exhortation. Look at number number five. Not everybody has this one, the gift of giving. This is the ability and desire to give to God's work and to God's people. Our church is a giving church. Many of you give. Listen, if, if this church would not give, you would not give, we wouldn't be able to have 60 plus missionaries. We wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. See, many have that gift, that spiritual gift of giving. They want to give to God. They want to give to the work of God. Hey, I remember I was telling Brother Butler when I was up there with him preaching a a Sunday for missions, and and I told his people, I said it was the neatest thing. I said Brother Butler was standing at the pulpit. I was standing next to him, and he he was just sharing things about his church, and our people were asking questions. And I said, I remember one of our men sitting right there said, hey, listen, do you have any immediate needs? Brother Butler kind of humble, says, well, you know, I just got a couple things. but, And he was thinking in his mind, well, they're real expensive. And so somebody, somebody sitting over here said, so, so what are some of the things you need? And he, Brother Butler kind of stood there, if you remember, and he says, well, he says, we, probably the most pressing thing is we have two fuse boxes that need to be replaced. Remember him saying that? And then somebody else raised their hand and said, well, how much are they? And he kind of looked, kind of stuck his head down a little bit, and he says, well, they're, they're like $1,000 a piece. And then one of you men raised your hand and said, hey, can't we just give them the $2,000? <laughs> and I thought, yes. That's the gift of giving. Realizing that people have needs in their lives greater than their own. You can't outgive God. 
Some people have the gift of giving. Here's another one. Look at number six. And this one's often misunderstood. Notice what he says here. He says in verse number eight, he says, uh, he says, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that, what's that word? Ruleth. A lot of people say, that's the gift I want right there. I want to be in charge, numero uno, you know. But what you don't understand is, is that as you study that out, it's actually making a reference to having the ability to lead and administrate part of the work of God. You know what Brother Kenny is? He's a minister. He's, he has the gift of administration. He does. I ask him to do something and he does it. And he does it well. You know, rarely do you get two individuals in the ministry together that both have that gift of administration, but we do. And, and, and I, I'm kind of, when it comes to certain things, I, I like things done a certain way. Some of you have found that out about me. And you know what Brother Kenny has learned is he, he's learned what pastor likes, what pastor wants. And when I give him something, he takes a hold of it and he does it and he does it the way that pastor wants it, the way pastor would like it done. He's a very loyal man. He has the gift of administration. Oh, he's sitting in here. I shouldn't be talking about him. <laughs> I hope you'll agree with what I just said. Um, and then look at the last one here. The last one is the gift of mercy. I mentioned that earlier. Now, watch this. What is the gift of mercy? You should be able to figure it out. It's the ability, watch this, to feel the pain of others and help them during trials. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's probably some of you in here that have the gift of mercy, but it's probably less than 20% of you. But if you have that gift, do you realize how valuable the gift of mercy is to those around you, those that know you? Listen, you can go anywhere in this city and find someone hurting. There's people hurting everywhere. God's given you that gift. God has given all these gifts, and he gifts, the Bible says here, he gifts different gifts to different people uh, for different tasks in the body. He names the gifts here, and what we should do is seek to determine the gift that God has given to us and use that gift. Don't wait on, on the Lord to, 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 to say, listen, I, I, you know, here's what I do is I say, God, give me opportunities to use that gift for you. And, and God will show you when, and God will show you how. It will be in his timing, in his way. But what we need to do is be available and be willing to use that gift that he's given to us for him. The gift's not ours. But notice letter C here as he finishes in verse number eight, he, he gives a caution. See, we need to understand the call and the conditions that he gives to us, the various gifts that he gives to us. But notice in verse number eight that... As Paul signs off, he gives a little bit of a caution here when he's talking about these spiritual gifts because he, he comes down to this, that he's dealing now with our attitude as we use those gifts. Remember how I told you many times some people think because they have this gift, the gift of ruling or the gift of uh, whatever it may be, teaching, that I'm better than this person or better than that person. And we've got to be careful about our attitude and, and take caution. We need to make sure that we're always using that gift the way that God has intended that gift to be used. And he mentions some ways that these gifts are being used. And notice the three words here in verse number eight. The first way that we are to use those gifts is with simplicity. And the word simplicity means with sincerity, free from mental pretense or free from hypocrisy. This matter of exercising spiritual gifts, you need to make sure that when you're using your spiritual gift, you're doing it from a pure heart. Let us minister for Jesus. And as we minister for the Lord, we should do it without thought of ourselves. We should serve Him for His glory instead of for personal gain. And so one way that we should be cautious is we should use these gifts with simplicity. The second word he uses is with diligence. The word diligence is, notice here, it means with haste. This is where we actually get our word English word speed from, to do something quickly. 
In other words, with earnestness, striving after something. It's talking about you and I need to, as we have the gifts that God has given to us, to see the urgency of the moment that we need to reach out with the best of our ability to make a difference in people's lives, and we need to do it while there is still time. And so we need to do uh, this matter of using our gifts with simplicity, without hypocrisy, with diligence. In other words, we need to see the need and take the lead. But then notice another way we need to use the gifts is with cheerfulness. The Bible says there in verse number 8, cheerfulness means with excited joy, with readiness of mind. Boy, I can't wait for God to give me an opportunity to use this gift. It's actually, remember how the verse, I've said it many times, God loveth what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. Same word here. It's our, where we get our English word from the Greek word, the word hilarious. So this word here, cheerfulness, it's talking about that you and I are allowed to use our, our gifts in the service of God. And watch this. As we use our gifts, Brother Flynn, doesn't it bring great joy into your heart when you can use the gift that God has given to you for his honor and for his glory? And that's what we see here. God says, do that with cheerfulness. Serve God from an excited heart. Going to church, listen, a lot of times people say, well, I have to go to church. No, uh, you go to church because you want to go to church. Here comes the offering plate. You don't have to give. You want to give. I mean, I think about uh, serving Jesus. It's an area of our giftedness because we're excited about being all that the Lord wants us to be. What a great passage tonight about the body of Christ. You think about the body of Christ, and the question tonight is, how well are you using the spiritual gifts that God's given to you? Because according to the Bible, when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, and when you got the Holy Spirit, He gave you spiritual gifts. So are you using those gifts? Have you identified what those gifts are? Hopefully there's not pride in your life, but... You're coming from a humble standpoint, not false humility. Or maybe tonight you haven't discovered what your giftedness is. I don't normally do this, but I, years ago my pastor passed these out. I've taken it a couple times. I know it's called a test. But the best thing about it is you can't fail it. How many of you like tests like that, right? But it's just called a spiritual gifts test. Some of you, I may have given you a copy of it to take. But it's, it, it, it basically, and I won't read the whole thing to you, but it gives an explanation of the spiritual gifts, which is what I just preached on. It talks about what the spiritual gifts are. And I just covered those seven that we have right here in Romans 12. When you turn the page, the next two pages and the back page are actually taking the spiritual gifts test. Now, I will tell you that if you take this test... What it does is it gives you, like number one, I am always looking for practical ways to help. And it gives you for each question, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And so it tells you on here which is the high, which is the low. And so you have to honestly say, okay, I'm always looking for ways to help. Or watch this, I'm never looking for ways to help. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. So what you do is you circle for each one of these questions. There are a total of 42 of them. You circle a one, two, three, four, or five for each question. Once you've gone through the 42 statements or questions, on the back it gives you a little grid here, and it has numbers that correspond to the 42 numbers of the questions that you just, you just read and, and circled a one, two, three, or four, or five. And once you... You need to make sure you're putting the right number in the right blank. But once you do, then what you do is you add the numbers straight down in columns. And across the bottom, guess what you see? It's the seven spiritual gifts that just were mentioned in Romans chapter number 12. So on the bottom here, it says helps, teaching, encouragement, <clears throat> administration, mercy, and giving. All the spiritual gifts. So what you end up with is a number that you add up, and that number goes above each one of those spiritual gifts. The higher the number, that means that's the area where God has gifted you. Now, some people take this, and they actually have two or three areas that they score very high in. 
It's not science, okay? But I think it's a good litmus test if you're interested in knowing maybe where God has gifted you. But you look, if you take it, you have to be honest. <laughs> you can't lie about, uh, you know, if, you let, if you're never looking for a way to help and you put a five, that's not truthful. But you know what I found when I took this was it showed me, watch this, it showed me areas where as I saw it, I realized, yes, that is an area that God has gifted me in. But you know what it also showed me? Areas that I'm weaker in. And the first time I took this many years ago, I realized, you know what? As a Christian, I need to learn to be more like Jesus, who was merciful. My wife's told me, she said, you know, there's been a couple times with our kids or something, and she says, you know, you, would, you handled that a lot differently years ago. And I could say to her, yeah, it's because I'm getting... I'm, such, I'm a better man now than I used to be. But you know what the truth is? God's been working on me. God's been changing me. We're a work in progress. And so here's the thing is, tonight, I'm just going to have a word of prayer and we'll be done. And a little bit of a teaching lesson tonight. But how many of you think that this is helpful to know about the body, right? Do you know why? Because we're the body. And see, when the body's healthy... And when the body knows what each part is meant to do, guess how much better the body's going to function? It's a great passage of Scripture. So I, br I brought in, I, you know, I, I don't even know if I made enough or way too many, but I've got about 30 or 40 copies of these, and I'll just drop them down here in the front. If you want to come grab one after the service and take this. Now, if you want to take it, I would welcome if you come up to me next time we see each other and say, hey, pastor, I took that spiritual gift test and, and it identified my spiritual gift is. And you want to share that. There's nothing wrong with sharing what your spiritual gift is. But you, you know what that means is then you now know what your gift is. And what you need to say is, okay, Lord, now that I know what my spiritual gift is, give me opportunities to use it for you to help the body. That's what it's all about. Amen. And so I'll leave those there if you're interested tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that you bless your word tonight. Lord, I've just tried to be transparent and truthful, but most of all, biblical tonight. And I pray that it was received well and uh, that these dear folks, if they don't already know, that they would, they would search the scriptures and, and, and ask you to reveal to them exactly what it is that you have for them to do, the ways that you've gifted them. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for all he does for us, that he guides us in all truth, that he reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for the gifts that he's given, and I'm glad personally, Lord, that you've allowed me to have the gifts that I have, and I don't take that for granted. I want to use those gifts for you. Lord, help me never to be puffed up about areas that you have, have gifted me, and Lord, I pray that I would use those that you would always receive the honor and glory from it. And I believe that's the prayer of all of us tonight. Thank you again for the word of God, how rich it is. And bless in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.